1: This week on the Truce Podcast, I talk with Caitlin Shess, author of The Liturgy of Politics. We discuss Christian political involvement and some of the false gospels incorporated in evangelicalism. Listen to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or at trucepodcast.com.
2: This is Troy and Joel, and you're listening to Revive House.
0: She wept. Head bowed. the crowd, but Jesus stopped to lift up her sin load. He said, woman, I die for your sin. Jesus came to die for sinners, for you and me.
3: Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history and a sermon that they delivered. Today's episode comes to you from John Sung. It was likely preached in China in the early 1930s. Troy, there's been a lot of stuff happening in the Revive Studio world, hasn't there?
2: Yes, we have a lot of exciting projects that have been in the works for a while and are currently coming out right now. Uh, the biggest new show is Revive Radio, and we did have some people ask us, oh, Does this replace Revive Thoughts? Or where do I find Revive Radio? I don't see it coming up in the thoughts. Uh, That is going to be its own separate podcast. So go into your podcast app of choice. Go search for it, Revive Radio. It is a show that brings old radio sermons back to life. Uh, They have been recorded. They sound great. We send them through a little bit of an audio enhancement, make them sound just a little bit better. And some of them still have a little bit of that old grainy sound to it, but people are telling us they actually really like that. They kind of dig that old-fashioned way of talking, very much. So, and uh, and there's just a different uniqueness to the preaching in those days. I don't know how to describe it. You just have to listen to it.
3: Yeah, yeah. I've had a lot of compliments come my way. People really enjoy. Uh, listening to those old sermons. I really enjoy the host, who's uh, who's your wife, right,
2: Troy? Elise. Yes, my wife is the host of that show, and I, I and she does a very good job. She does all the research. She, Joel and I, we put together Revive Thoughts as a team. Elise uh, does it all herself, so she's yeah. running a similar show, but completely on her own. The number one compliment
3: I've heard is that she is a much better host than you or I, which is true. <laughs> is I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny that she's a she's she's got a much better voice.
2: She does. So go check her out. And also, we've told people about Revived Devos. We always let you know it's out there every single day, two to three minutes of great devotional content. We had a recently a five star review come in on the show, and someone goes, "To be honest, I don't really like devotional type shows. I don't really listen to those. But there's something different about Revived Devos, and that's how we feel. too. Revive Devos isn't just okay another show where someone. And gives you their thoughts to hopefully kind of give you a boost in the day no this is theological devotional encouraging edifying content from some of the greatest preachers and men who ever lived and we're giving it to you just as a short soundbite to get you going in the day so we think both of these shows are fantastic
3: uh in summary we got the <laughs> Revived thoughts podcast which you're familiar with it's what you're listening to right now unless this
2: is your first episode in which case this is not how most first episodes <laughs> start
3: there is a, a the revived devos podcast as well which is a two to three minute daily devotional that comes out in the morning and then the revived Revived Radio Podcast, which uh, is similar in format to this show, but it's hosted by Troy's wife, Elise, and covers radio uh, preachers from the early 1900s. All of these podcasts are their own feed, so if you want to listen to Revived Devos Revived Radios, just open up your podcast app of choice and search for that and subscribe to that feed separately.
2: And stay tuned. Revived Studios has more planned in 2021.
3: Troy, who's today's episode about again, huh?
2: Joel, we're doing John Sung. And... This guy stood out to me because when I was researching him, they called him the John the Baptist of China, and they also called him the man who shook Asia. Now, that line, the man who shook Asia, really stood out to me. When I lived in China, I was told about a book. It's called To Change China. This book told the stories of people who moved to China with the goal of changing it. Diplomats, missionaries, all different kinds of people, but very few of them succeeded. Now, this book suggested uh, missionaries failed, but I would say if you go and listen to our episodes on Hudson Taylor, Walter Lowry, that you would find that's probably mistaken, actually the missionaries did pretty well but the point is that changing china is no easy task very old country people have been living that way for a very long time it was a cautionary tale against people who thought they could come in and replace the old system with a new one that it wasn't going to happen in fact that generally speaking china changed them more than they changed china And this was true of most people, except for John Sung, this guy who was himself is born in China as a raised Chinese person, but he is the man who changed China. So again, that name just stuck out. I've got to learn more about him.
3: Yes, Troy, John Sung. He is a name you're probably not familiar with. I know I wasn't familiar with him. He's like kind of a lesser known name. He can be controversial. (laughs) We'll get into his backstory a little bit here, but he was born in 1901 and his dad was a Methodist minister in the village that he grew up in and he loved he imitated his father a lot so much so that people in the village would call him little pastor which is a, an adorable little thing there. yeah he was raised and worked through Christian uh mission schools that were in the area and he went to middle school and high school that way it looked like he was definitely going to be a pastor he decided to finish his education in America with a degree in Bible and theology but when he got to America in 1920 something changed
2: now going to America itself was controversial. After the Treaty of Versailles in nineteen nineteen, which brought about which what happened at the end of World War One, China was very frustrated with the West. They felt like they had gotten the rough end of that uh deal and were not acknowledged for their part in world war one and there was also a famous fight between japan and china over who got to have shandong which was called the shandong dispute and the reason shandong was important to china birthplace of confucius so they were very frustrated with the way things were going and they thought that basically people who weren't chinese were a little bit out to get them when he told his father he was going to america to learn theology his dad was frustrated and said oh so great i get to send all my money to foreigners thank you so much for that When he got there, he decided not to become a theologian, but instead studied chemistry. He worked at a factory and worked extremely long hours there. But despite that, he managed to get his bachelor's, his master's, and his PhD, all with high academic honors, in only five years. Overwork was a problem of John Sung's and would actually be a contributing cause to him dying young.
3: He then decided to go to seminary to honor his commitment to theology, but during an evangelistic meeting that was being held around that time, he came to Christ. That's when he identifies his his true coming uh, to know Jesus Christ as the Savior. And after that, he began fervently preaching the gospel to all of those around him, including his professors in school, and kind of disrupting the, the way that Classes were happening because of his passion to uh, preach Christ to everyone around him. And this is where it kind of gets, his story gets a bit murky. It gets a little bit controversial because looking back on this, we don't know really who's right or who's wrong. But the version that comes from him, he states that he was preaching the gospel with such a passion and zeal that it got him thrown into an insane asylum. While he was there in the insane asylum, he read through the Bible several times And eventually a pastor helped spring him out and got him back to China. The seminary that he was at, in this case Union Theological Seminary, their side of the story says that the seminary was more liberal than Sung and that Sung had a psychotic break and that he was incoherent and he had journals with strange drawings that they used to prove and use as evidence to commit him to the insane asylum. After he got out of the asylum, they refused to let him back in, claiming that they had already spent a ton of money paying for him to stay at that asylum.
2: And it's really difficult to know who's right on that because it wouldn't be the first time preachers on our show had kind of a psychological breakdown at some point. Uh, Hudson Taylor had a nervous breakdown at the end of his life. Oswald Chambers had a bit of a psychological breakdown before he went to Egypt. A.B. Simpson very famously had multiple psychological breakdowns throughout his life. Uh, Jonathan Swift broke down so much at the end of his life that he didn't say a word for an entire year. So it it would not be something that would even disqualify yeah. him. We think that that does happen to people sometimes.
3: I feel like it's almost even, I mean, you have, when you combine very passionate people with very hard workers.
2: Yeah. Like the
3: human body. Especially
2: very intelligent because all these men are.
3: Yeah, yeah. The human body can only keep up so much with that.
2: So he gets back to China, he starts as a teacher, kind of a quiet teacher, but being a teacher didn't really go too well for him. Uh, There was partially because he just didn't feel clearly fulfilled in it, Uh, but the other side of it was he didn't want to make his students bow to the nationalist leaders um, that they were telling him to bow to, and this is, note, nationalist leaders. There are communists working their way through China at the time as well, but in this case, this is not that group. Uh, Slowly, he rises to become an evangelist, um, and he's formed with this group. This group gets pretty big, they end up meeting with 400,000 people in just a few years. Uh, But that group kicks him out. They said they thought he was funneling money for his own projects. And he said he thought that they didn't like the fact that he got more attention than they did. So he decides to start doing this on his own where he'll go from city to town by himself preaching the gospel. And he does it on his own. And before you know it, he's doing these huge tours, not just through China, but through all of Southeast Asia. And he's bringing absolutely just massive crowds to hear the gospel.
3: Yeah, he was also very serious about... Bible reading. He said that he would read 11 chapters of the Bible each day. He would go on to start these large Bible conferences that would last 30 days long, and they were designed to expound on every book of the Bible. And they were huge, they're very time-consuming, but they, they were making a pretty big impact and influence on him in that area. He was also very dramatic I feel like uh we see this sometimes with these speakers in the late 1800s early 1900s there's a bit of showmanship in yes and the way you present from the stage right so he, he would have like people holding up signs on stage that say adultery or lying or envy you know big illustration points right mm-hmm. we would just use a powerpoint in today's day and <laughs> exactly. age but back then you had to have volunteers involved right he would also dress unlike anyone else come on stage like anyone else he would wear traditional uh, scholarly robes at the time but he'd also carry around this tattered briefcase that he'd had since he began that he refused to to upgrade to to replace he also refused to stay at hotels he would only stay with uh, people that offered to to house him regardless of how rich or poor they were you know if it was just even a shack he'd just hang out stay at the shack but he wouldn't buy a hotel to sleep in he was a pretty humble guy he was very much of the mindset of you know how how could I live so well when people around him are hurting so much was kind of his thought his philosophy he always rode the lowest class you can buy on that train ticket to get around the world and he would go wherever he was needed china was at war during several parts of his ministry and he would preach in the middle of combat zones with enemy planes flying overhead
2: the train thing might not sound like a big deal by the way but as someone who lived in china has been squished into some of those trains let me tell you i imagine it was worse back then that it that was a very he he took a very uncomfortable experience i promise you
1: This week on The Truce Podcast, I talk with Caitlin Shass, author of The Liturgy of Politics. We discuss how evangelicalism has gotten tangled up in nationalism. We end up in positions where we take
2: passages intended for Israel and apply them to America in ways that are not not good uh, exegesis, but also I think then we end up in a position where we have to defend, we have to baptize the whole, especially early history of our country, because if it was founded on Christian values and God has to be defended and Christian values have to be defended, then we end up in a position where we either have to deny some of the atrocities very early in our country's history, or we have to say that those are Christian values. We have an ability in a unique system in which we have some democratic involvement in the in the running of our country to hold it to account to what God says countries should be.
1: Listen to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or at trucepodcast.com.
2: Uh, he also had a healing ministry. He would preach some of the harshest repentance you've ever heard, then pray and heal people on the service. Afterward, he'd tell them their physical body ailments mean nothing to them if they were not right with God. Uh, we will definitely need to do future episodes. There's a lot to analyze with this guy. And honestly, you know, we're telling you the stories of how his ministry got to be. We're not taking a side here on some of this stuff. Um, he's extremely interesting. He absolutely hated liberal missionaries. He skewered them publicly. He'd call out church leaders right on stage. He would find out about their abuses. He'd kind of sneak into the church, talk to people, what were they doing wrong, and then just suddenly rail them in the middle of the sermon. Um, But on the other side of it, you had this medical condition that would flare up that he got from working so hard when he was in America, and he'd sometimes have to preach sitting down. Sometimes he, they'd wheel him out on a bed, and he would still uh, get people saved just preaching from the bed. He said it was God's uh, thorn in his side to keep him humble. It was estimated that by the end of his ministry, 100,000 or 10% of all Protestant Christians in China had come from contact with John Sung. At the end of his life, he had multiple surgeries, and he realized 11 months away from home was just too much uh, time away from his family. he preached to people to pray more, that he had he decided he had done too much in his own strength, he publicly repented of his anger and his neglect of his family. Part of this neglect may have come from the fact that his marriage was arranged, and so maybe he didn't feel as strongly in the beginning, but towards the end, he felt like he had really let her down and wanted to do better. People questioned his methods, but the leaders that Sung raised up ended up being many of the leaders that bravely fought for the church under Japanese occupation and Chinese communism. These men fearlessly followed what Sung had taught, and the Church of China was preserved through it. The man died in 1944. He was only 42. We will definitely come back to him in a future episode, because we mentioned things in this episode that... uh, Let's just say we'd like to expound more on sure, the future one. Sure,
3: I, and I think this will make more sense once you listen to this sermon. You'll you'll get a better sense for what we're talking about here. Listen to how serious he takes holiness and sin. This is a man who on his way back from America, threw all of his diplomas, all of his awards and credits, except for for the doctorate, which he was required to have to work, he threw all of these things into the sea and said it meant nothing to him. The only thing that mattered to him was Christ.
0: 8, verse 1, And every man went into his own house. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. It is stated here that everybody went home. The crowds went home like those who go home after a show. The show they saw was Jesus. And what did they bring home with them? Each with a pair of ears. What are we gathered here for tonight? Is it not to hear the word of God? I'm afraid some of you will also return home, each with only a pair of ears. Now Jesus went to the Mount of Olives in order to pray and meditate. What do you do when you go home? To commit sin? Brothers and sisters, if Jesus' word dwells in your heart, your sin will be taken away. Verse 2. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Jesus returned to the temple at the break of day, and then gathered a multitude to hear him. Jesus didn't worry whether he would get a crowd. Wherever Jesus went, there went the people. Jesus taught in the temple in order that the people might be saved, and not one be lost. Jesus wants everybody to get a chance to be saved. Beloved brothers and sisters, if Jesus' word, just only one word, should cut into your heart, you will be saved. When I was preaching at Changchow, one fellow told me how long he had heard the word, but not a grain of it ever entered his ear. One early morning, while he was in church, he heard a voice calling him. Suddenly, His spiritual eyes opened, and his whole life was changed. This was due to Jesus' light shining into his heart. This exposed all his sins. This also unburdened all his sins. Beloved brothers and sisters, has Jesus' light shone into your sins? Verse 3. And the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman taken in adultery, and when they sat her in the midst, while Jesus was preaching, There came a big crowd, stone in hand, leading a woman, bound. This woman had committed adultery. She deserved to be stoned. This crowd accused the woman before Jesus how bad she was. She deserved to die according to the law. These people only saw what was wrong with others, but not their own sins. May every one of us here see what's wrong with our own selves. Do you have sin or not? If so, then ask Jesus to wash you clean. Let him unload your sin. When I was preaching and piping, I met the wife of General Feng Yu, Hsiang. She said, I've left off attending church for 30 years. My father was an elder in the church. During the Boxer Rebellion, he sought refuge at the door of the missionary pastor, Reverend Mark. The door was shut to him. The Boxers killed my father. I said to her, Don't just look at others' mistakes. Look at yourself and see if you have done any wrong. You have not attended church. You have thought too highly of yourself. Brothers and sisters, never look at the faults of pastors and evangelists. Rather, look at yourselves. When I was at Fuchow, a deacon of a certain church had become anti-Christian. He said to me, I hate the church. This man had joined a pastor in a business venture. His share was $500. When the business began to fail, the pastor withdrew his share. He was left in the lurch. Now this man only found fault with the pastor, but not with himself. Beloved brothers and sisters, don't judge others, but rather ourselves. Look to Jesus, and your burden of sin will be lifted. Verse 4. They said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. All shouted, this woman deserves to die. She was caught in the act of adultery. Beloved brothers and sisters, the devil is the chief accuser. When you fall into sin, he will accuse you. But remember, sin can be removed by faith. So if your faith is not strong, your sin will not be removed. All my sins are stamped on my heart. Your sins are also stamped on your heart. It is hard to erase them. You'll always remember them. So the devil keeps on accusing us of our sins. An old woman picked up a bracelet on the road 70 years ago. She could not forget this matter even now. She scolds herself for this. Bitter are all the sins stamped on our hearts. They can never be erased. If you sin every day, you will feel the sin more and more pressing on your heart and the harder to forget. How wretched is human life. Everyone carries a load of sin. A child of two can sin. He gets upset if you give him only half a donut. A child of five can lie. At eight, he can gamble with his friends. At nine, he can steal for pocket money. At ten, he can hate others. At twelve, he may join a fight. At fourteen, he can read immoral books. Ah, sin increases with age. At fifteen, he rebels against parental teaching. At 18, he can dance and indulge in careless whispers, and he can commit fornication. Sometimes he thinks of suicide. How awful! The older, the greater the sin. Miserable indeed. Young people, when you sin, your heart is not happy. Your mind suffers. Though not shown on the face, these are hidden within, tears of a broken heart. Others may not know your sorrows. Jesus does. You thought of ways and means to get rid of your sins, but in vain. At night you're locked in your room, shedding tears of a broken heart. Young people, don't you feel miserable when you're alone? Verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Beloved brothers and sisters, Jesus loves sinners. He wants to save sinners. He gave his life to save sinners. Men say your sin is beyond salvation. That is the devil's accusation. How did Jesus treat this woman? The woman needed pity. She wept, head bowed before the crowd. But Jesus stopped to lift up her sin load. He said, woman, I die for your sin. Jesus came to die for sinners, for you and me. This is the only way for a sinner to find freedom. There is no other way. Verse 6 and 7. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. They did not know what sort of person Jesus was. All put the question to Jesus, but Jesus perceived it in his heart. He said to them, He that is without sin among you, Let him cast a stone at her. Brothers and sisters, who is without sin? Here is the womanizer and the gambler. There is the covetous and a robber. Who is without sin? They could not answer the simple word from Jesus. Pitiful. All are sinners. Verse 8, and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, After saying this, Jesus stooped down and wrote, Jesus died for every one of our sins. Jesus, the sinless, has lovingly sacrificed himself for sinners. He lifts up every load of sin. Sinners, we deserve to die. Who is without sin? Verse 9 and 10. And they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience. And went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Beloved brothers and sisters, do you understand this verse? Let us look at them. There they go: a seventy-five-year-old woman and a sixty-year-old man, a fifty-five-year-old, a fifty, a forty, a thirty-five, and a thirty-year-old. Still, another twenty-five-year-old, another twenty. There he goes. One by one. Where did they go? Oh, pitiful. There they went, each carrying a load of sin to hell. All sinned. All went to hell. None of them knew Jesus. Let us consider if a child can sin. Look, there goes another aged 15 and yet another 10 years old. These children knew not Jesus. Brothers and sisters with eyes closed Imagine how many were left. All went, leaving Jesus and the woman. Why didn't the woman go? Ah, she had sinned. She was guilty. She dared not leave. She only wept. She would not leave Jesus. If she left, she would die. Jesus said to the woman, How many are your accusers? Beloved brothers and sisters, how many had condemned this woman? The woman said to Jesus, Lord, they are gone. None. Woman, neither do I. Is this woman happy? Is she still under sin? The load of many years' sin, a ton of sin, is lifted. It is gone. How was her sin load lifted? Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Beloved brothers and sisters, why was Jesus crucified? Is it not for our sin? For this woman's sin? Now that the woman's load of sin is lifted, will she carry it again? No. When Jesus has taken away our load of sin, he removes it forever. How light she now feels! How happy! Jesus said to the woman, Go back! Where did Jesus tell the woman to go? To bitter suffering? Certainly not. He told her to return to a happy place. Her sin load is lifted. How delighted. Go back. Don't sin again. Brothers and sisters, go back. Heaven is our happy home. This world is all vanity. We trust Jesus. That's enough. Father, mother, brother, sister, they cannot forgive our sin. Jesus can Trusting Jesus, we are forever satisfied. When I was preaching at Changchow, a girl named Teo came. The more she listened, the more she found it tasteful, and the more her heart warmed up. Realizing she was a sinner, she confessed her sins immediately after the service. She went home and told her mother, Mother, I have believed in Jesus, my Savior. He saved me today. But her mother got angry. She beat and scolded her and threatened her with every threat not to believe Jesus. But she wasn't afraid. She prayed to Jesus. When I heard of her staunch faith, I was very happy. Praise the Lord. May you, my beloved brothers and sisters, all trust Jesus. Your sin load will be lifted forever.
2: There was a part in the sermon, the part that probably gripped me the most was he talked about how he basically had borrowed uh, just a few bucks uh, to do something with. It was was not even work that was bad, you know, it wasn't fraud or anything, he just, he needed a few bucks for something and he just felt convicted as if man that was the worst thing i could possibly do i can't believe i just did that what was i thinking that money should have been with god and he just really feels repentance and i know some people could listen to that and go he sounds kind of like a legalist you know he's taking this too but if he's not a legalist and if he is the real deal and he genuinely felt that kind of conviction over a few bucks and he recognized his lack and how holy god was in comparison wow i i hope that my littlest sins will bother me as much as they bother John Sung on some level because I think I would take God more seriously and I think I would live with a lot more desire for holiness in my life if I was deeply as convicted by my sin as John Sung was by his.
3: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revive Thoughts. Today's episode was narrated by Philip Tadras. Philip was born and grew up in Egypt. He immigrated to Canada with his parents during his teenage years, and it was there that he was found by Christ. Though he works as a full-time airline pilot, Philip's passion is to know God. He is a student of the scriptures, of theology, of history, and our common life in Christ. He is a lover of his local church in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Philip is a husband and
2: father of four
3: wonderful children.
2: At the top of the episode, we mentioned that you should check out some of our shows. And just as a reminder, if you've not already subscribed to Revived Radio and Revived Devos, we highly recommend you do so. And if you have never checked out our Revived Thought Deep Dives, go check out those previews. We have a feeling they will encourage you to want to hear the full-length episodes over on our Patreon. Uh, so we really recommend that you go do that. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revived Thoughts. Revived Thoughts
1: This week on the Truce Podcast, I talk with Caitlin Shess, author of The Liturgy of Politics. We discuss Christian political involvement and some of the false gospels incorporated in evangelicalism. Listen to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or at trucepodcast.com.